gift of tongues, prophecy. Uh, these are areas that the church can easily, and Christians easily have differences of opinions and interpretations on. And welcome back, Rhymers. Good to see you guys. Awesome. Uh, and and um, different opinions and, and interpretations on. And uh, it's, a, it's a tricky thing for me. You know, I think, not that I'm trying to, you know, balance things out to, to please everybody. No, but we get into some passages here that have been kind of tricky to really interpret and, and understand how it applies now for us today in the church. So we're going to do our best to do so, which is why I love that Paul, in between chapter 12, as he talks about, you know, gifts and the importance of gifts in the church, and before he gets into chapter 14, where he talk, talks a little bit more specifically about the gift of tongues, he adds chapter 13 in the middle, which is all about love, right? The love chapter. It's a great chapter, but it's a great chapter when you really begin to see the reason why Paul interjects it. It's not that he's interjecting this chapter just to kind of, you know, calm everybody down, to not let people get heated talking about these things and, and to begin to debate and, and have different opinions. He's like, listen, the bottom line is that in all these things that we see with the gifts and the operation of these things in the church, everything needs to be done in love. Everything needs to be be operating in love. If you do not have love, then the gifts are ultimately going to fall flat because the gifts are given, and I believe that gifts are, are still in operation today. They're given by the Holy Spirit to bless and edify and build up the church. And if you don't have love driving that, then that's going to fall flat. So Paul deals with that in chapter 13. He ends looking at those three graces of the Spirit, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because love never ends, and love is what needs to be paramount for the church to operate in health and in a blessing of one another. And so as we move into chapter 14, Paul begins with saying this. Look at verse 1. And here's what we're going to look at, actually, just our outline here in chapter 14. The prominence of prophecy, the purpose of tongues, the practice of tongues. Uh, we're going to get through the first 19 verses Lord willing. But here's how he starts here in chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Because he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So Paul Again, flowing out of chapter 13, talking all about love, he says, listen, I want you to pursue love. Now that word pursue uh, is the Greek word dioko, dioko, which means to strive after, to chase after. You know, that word dioko in the Greek is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as persecute. Persecute, that's interesting. So Paul's not talking about some kind of tiptoe through the tulips, feeling of euphoric love and just like, oh, I'm so in love. It's so wonderful. He's talking about this idea of like, man, I want you to pursue love, chase after, hunt it down, grab a hold of it. I want you to be operating and functioning in this love that's so important in the church and in the operation of these gifts one with another. Now, we saw in the last chapter how love is something that is demonstrated. 
It's, it's a love that is, is lived out. It's an action. This is not about feeling. This is an action. My, my wife reminds me every time after a sermon, you missed a good opportunity for a good 80s or 90s song, right? There's a couple. Petra, the love song, right? Love is patient. Love is... Anybody Petra fans here? Okay. So you remember? The other one, DC Talk, right? Love is a verb, right? You know the one, right? Hey, tell me, haven't you heard? Love is a serious word. I'm not going to get into it, right? I don't care what you heard. I don't care what you say, but love, love, love is a verb. There you go, DC Talk fans. All right. We're a minority. That's okay. Stay strong, people. All right. Down with the DC Talk. That's in the song. Love is a verb. All right. Don't get me going. But, but so love... Again, pursue love because love causes us now to be others focused and not centered on self. Because we talked about the last week, the opposite of love is really self. It's really where you begin to be consumed, where everything has to be about you and done to you. And there's an absence of love when that is happening that way. So pursue love because love is what's going to drive the gifts in a way that are going to, as Paul says, edify and exhort the church and build up one another. But again, as you pursue love, love is important. Love is, is greater than all other things. And without love, gifts are gonna fall flat. But Paul does not wanna diminish or do away with the gifts, right? The importance of gifts is not being minimized here because Paul says pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. This is something that we should all be desiring to, to be operating in and to be playing that role in the church that God has designed us to be functioning in. In chapter 14, we see a contrast between prophecy and tongues primarily. Because again, Paul's emphasizing not these two to say, you know, this is what's better necessarily. This is, you know, it, it's that the church in Corinth was really striving after tongues. This is what they saw would really elevate them personally. This is what would cause them to really stand out. And it was all done with a lack of love. It's the wrong motive and purpose in these gifts. So Paul's comparing these things to now, and he says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. It seems kind of odd, right, that, that Paul would sort of showcase one gift when he's been addressing in chapter 12 that every member of the body of Christ is important, everybody has a part to play, but then he kind of goes, oh, you know, really desire all the more that you may prophesy. This is not to say that, that prophecy is a, you know, uh, a, a better gift than the other gifts, right? Because he's, he's made a case to say that all members of the body are important and needed. So if you don't prophesy, it doesn't mean that you're now, uh, you're kind of second rate, you're kind of in the C class of the body. No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that some gifts are going to operate in a way that will have a greater influence and have a greater impact on a larger, wider audience. They become more beneficial because they minister to the whole. There are some gifts that are going to operate one-to-one -one perhaps, and they're, they're, they're needed, they're important because God cares about each person, right? And so there are some gifts that are going to operate in that way, but some gifts are going to operate in a way, in a more beneficial way, because it's going to build up a larger group at once. So when someone prophesies in a gathering of the church, they're speaking out the word of God where all are going to be edified. 
Now, prophecy, we think of prophecy as, you know, like a, a, a prophet coming on a scene and they come down with a word from the Lord. Maybe it's a word of judgment. It's a strong word. And everybody's like, ooh, listen to the prophet. Word of prophecy here. And oftentimes they would kind of tell things that are to come, right? Now, prophecy certainly has an element of predictive foretelling of things to come, but it does not need to be restricted just to that alone. So prophecy, keep in mind, is not just foretelling of things to come, it is simply a forthtelling of God's word. It's speaking God's word. Here's what Thomas Constable says, he said prophets do not just foretell the future or announce new special revelation from God. They also delivered statements or messages in praise of God or a word of instruction, refutation, reproof, admonition, or comfort for others. Paul's point was that edifying the church is more important than just edifying oneself. So he says there in verse two, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now that's important because when we begin to just kind of go outside of the word of God and we begin to interpret things just based on our experiences, we allow abuses or misuses of giftings to come in. Now, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal background. I grew up in a church where we would oftentimes hear tongues being spoken during you know, the worship service. Anybody grew up in a church where tongues were oftentimes heard? So some of you have experienced that. Some of you are going, just move on to chapter 15. This isn't important to me. I get that. That's fine. Chapter 15 is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. But it's important to see what the word says about these things. That's why we're, we're going through it. But you see, it's easy to have um, misuses of these things when we don't simply look at what the word of God says. The Bible is very clear that he who speaks in a tongue isn't speaking to men or to people, but speaking to God, right? Now, what I experienced growing up in church was somebody speaking in a tongue and there'd be an interpretation, but the interpretation was always from God to men. It was always my people, my people, right? Listen, and it was sometimes a word of rebuke. Get your act together, you bunch of bums. It wasn't exactly like that, but <laughs> it was sometimes a word of God, you know, to the church. But some of the, in fact, I remember one time in, in, when I was in Bible college on the East Coast, there's one person, <laughs> and everybody, of course, is trying to practice these things and, and see themselves function these things. And, and uh, a tongue was spoken, and somebody went to, went to speak it out, whether it's an interpretation or a prophecy. But again, it was God to man. Began to say, you know, God is not happy. And, and God, and he meant to say, God pronounces Ichabod upon, like that the glory of God is departed. God is pronouncing Ichabod, but he didn't say, he said, God pronounces Michelob upon this place. And it was like, well, we know that's clearly not a word from the Lord there. Or maybe it was, I don't know. No, we won't. But see, again, the, the direction was God to man. And it was God definitely not saying, you know, Michelob, but we get the idea that, you know, we can easily begin to, you know, lapse into these things that we think are the right way. And the Bible makes it very clear that he who speaks in a tongue is speaking to God. That's what we saw happen in the Bible. In Acts chapter two, where we saw the initial appointing of the Holy Spirit on the church, right? And the apostles gathering in the upper room, beginning to speak in tongues. It was like, you know, tongues as of a fire. It wasn't literal fiery tongues rushing on them, but tongues as a fire began to overtake them, began to speak. Look at what it says in Acts two, 
verse 7 to 11. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, and those that are marveling are all those coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. It, it just began to swell in the population, people coming from all different regions and countries with different languages, and they all marveled because they said, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language or tongue? We hear in our own tongue in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. What did they hear? They heard the apostles praising God, worshiping God, lifting up the, the glory of God. And it tells us again in Acts 10, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So the direction was from men to God, speaking in a tongue, glorifying God, worshiping God. That's what a tongue is, and that's, that's what the interpretation would and should be. So the gift of tongues is speaking to God, and yet, notice Paul says, it's just mysteries to the one that's speaking it. No one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. The speaker doesn't know what's being said unless there's an interpreter. Now, keep in mind, the word for tongues is the Greek word glossa. Let me remind you on that. And that word glossa can certainly mean the, the, the part uh, the body part in your mouth, the tongue. But when that word gloss is used, it's especially in our chapter here and in our context, speaking about languages, a known language, not some babbling in an unknown or heavenly language. It's a known language at the time, unknown to the speaker, but it's a real language, a known language. Someone thought that when Paul says the one speaking mysteries, that it means he's speaking an unknown language or a new language or perhaps this heavenly language, but that's not what is, is implied or meant in this passage. It's a mystery to the speaker because not even he knows what is being said when he speaks in a tongue. It's a gift of God that he's given and there needs to be an interpreter. If I suddenly begin to speak in Chinese here, that's gonna be a mystery to me. I'm not gonna know what I'm saying. You're not gonna know what I'm saying. You're not gonna understand it for the most part. So things need to be interpreted for all to benefit from it. This is why Paul contrasts prophecy and tongues in this chapter, because he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Tongues doesn't do a whole lot for the body on its own. Everybody's sitting around going, okay, God's communicating, but we need an interpreter. We need an interpreter to build us up. But that's why Paul says when you prophesy, you're speaking in a way that people understand. They know what's being said and it's gonna build them up. It's gonna encourage and it's gonna comfort them because it's a word from God to the church. That's what prophecy is. Notice he says in verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, the person that speaks in the tongue doesn't edify the church on its own by just the tongue. He simply edifies himself and that only in part. Because he, like I say, even the person speaking in a tongue, he's edified because he's saying, wow, okay, the Lord's speaking through me. The Lord's using a gift in me. I'm edified because, okay, I'm being a vessel of the Lord, but he's not edified in full because he doesn't even know what's being said. 
Not until an interpretation is given, then he can hear it with his understanding and be edified in an even greater way. But, Paul says, he who prophesies edifies everybody because now they hear and they know. Verse 4, as William McDonald says, is, is commonly used to justify the private use of tongues for self-edification. But the fact that the word church is found nine times in this chapter offers rather convincing evidence that Paul is not dealing with a believer's devotional life in the privacy of his room, but with the use of tongues in the local assembly. The context shows that far from advocating the use of tongues for self-edification, the apostles condemning any use of the gift in the church that does not result in helping others. Love thinks of others and not of self. But notice Paul goes on in verse five to say, listen, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So again, Paul in no way is trying to diminish or put down tongues. He says, listen, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Now he's not saying that to say, you should all. I hope you will all speak in tongues because he's already said not all speak in tongues. He's simply saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues because he sees that this is a, a, again, a, a way that God operates in gifts, but he's not saying it like, I wish you, or I hope you all do. I wish you all did, but I know that's not the reality. It's like, you know, I could say for my, my daughter just had her birthday this week. I wish you get a new car for your birthday. I know that's not the reality. That's not going to happen. I wish you'd get it, but I know that that's just not going to happen. It's not based in reality. And that's what Paul is saying here. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but I know that's not based in reality. It's not going to happen that way. But it's a gift that when used correctly will benefit others when there's a tongue and an interpretation. What he would rather see though, and this is what he's emphasizing, I'd rather see things being done in a way where all the church can be edified and encouraged by it. Prophecy reveals now the word of God. And in this day when the canon of scripture was not yet formed, this would have been a very helpful gift for people to receive the word of God. It was very valuable and it edified the body in a greater way because all then could hear and be edified by it. That's what prophecy did. Even though those in Corinth seemed to gravitate to the gift of tongues, that's why Paul is addressing this, they're all looking to say, oh man, tongues is great. I can, I can speak this out. I can look very spiritual. Nobody knows if I'm saying anything right or wrong because it's the tongue. Nobody knows, right? It'll be great. They're all gravitating that, but Paul says, I'd rather you prophesy. That's gonna be more helpful. But again, if tongues were to be used, then an interpretation must be given so that all can benefit from it, that the church may receive edification. Look at verse six. We look at a bit more of the, the purpose of tongues here. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So Paul could show up. He could begin speaking in tongues and everybody in the church would be like, woo, that's awesome. Paul's here, I'm all and he's speaking in tongues. This is great, man. This is something to behold. But they would gain nothing from it unless something was spoken that they understood. Either, like Paul says, by, by revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. 
Those are all things that will be spoken to the understanding so that people can receive and be benefiting from it. And Paul gives an illustration from everyday life to show the importance of this. Look at what he says in verse 7. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So this illustration Paul gives, again, is countering what's going on in the church of Corinth, where people were just kind of babbling nonsensically at times. Not a true, genuine use of the gift of tongues. And it was just incoherent. It wasn't adding anything. It's like somebody playing an instrument. And they just begin to blow into it without any kind of... Uh, an instrument can make beautiful music that is understood that you can even recognize and sing along to. But the instrument just begins to put out random notes. There's nothing going to be understood by it. Yeah, the trumpet makes an uncertain sound. Who will prepare for battle? If somebody's out in the, the battlefield and they're waiting for their signal and somebody grabs that bugle and just begins to blow into it, they're all like, what was that? That was undistinguishable. Was that the call for dinner or the call to get out in the battlefield? Like, what, what are we to do? They're kind of like torn. It, it needs to be distinguishable. And so Paul's saying even with the tongues and the language that it needs to be a language that is distinguishable. It's not just a incoherent or ecstatic utterance of gibberish. And again, Paul's addressing what seemed to be going on in the church because a lot of people in the church of Corinth, it seemed, were coming out of these, these pagan practices. And even within their pagan rituals, there was a counterfeit of what God has for tongues. There was a gibberish being spoken that seemed to move people into this kind of spiritual sort of euphoria that was not of God. And they were bringing these things into the church. Even today, you can see things happening in, a, in, in pagan cults or, or you know, these kinds of rituals where people begin to move in these ecstatic utterances of gibberish, but it's completely not of God. And those things are being brought in the church here. Much of what we see in the charismatic circle is this counterfeit unknown language or babbling unintelligible words that oftentimes get taught and forced or manipulated. As though if you're not speaking in tongues, there's something the matter with you. Well, you gotta speak in tongues because tongues now really begins to show that you're moving in the spirit. And these things get kind of pushed and forced and it's like, just repeat after me, right? She bought a Hyundai, no, no, I bought a Honda. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, we just begin to say these things to try to mimic tongues and there you go, just let it roll. Just let the tongue begin to roll. But that's not, the gift of tongues. The gift is something that God gives you. It's not something that needs to be forced or manipulated or practiced. So he says in verse nine, likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you'll be speaking into the air. If words aren't used that people can understand, how will it benefit them? If a tongue is given, an interpretation must be there. Otherwise, it's just speaking to the air. It doesn't connect with anyone's brains or intelligence or understanding. It enters into the ears. It doesn't enter the ears. It just kind of stays in the air, is what Paul is saying. There are, verse 10, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. 
See, every language is useful to communicate with one another. If a language cannot do that, then what's the point of it? It's no use. Nobody, nobody upholds that as a language. We've got a language here, but nobody knows what we're saying when we use it. There'd be no point in that. Each language is significant, Paul says. Again, that seems to be said by Paul, the counter, the counterfeit tongues that were creeping into the church where they were just speaking this gibberish or babbling. Every language has its purpose or has as its purpose the communication of thought, and so they all possess structure, syntax, and vocabulary. In other words, there is no tongue that consists entirely of nonsense babbling. Verse 11, therefore, if I, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. You know what it's like when you visit it? a different country that speaks a different language than what you know. And you're, you just walk around, you just feel lost. You're like, you're trying to look for help, nobody can help you, they're speaking a different language than you. You just completely feel out of it, you need help, you need an interpreter. Otherwise, you're just kind of lost, you're a foreigner in that city. It can be frustrating. And that's what people in the church of Corinth were feeling like with so many speaking out in these tongues that just wasn't understood. Instead of the church coming together in unity as they should, they were being foreigners with one another and further dividing over these things. It was not helpful. This is why Paul says to be zealous for gifts that will edify the church. He doesn't criticize them for being zealous for spiritual gifts. Be zealous for spiritual gifts, but he's correcting them on being zealous for gifts that were more for their selfish benefit than it was for the building up of the church as a whole. People were speaking in tongues and very possibly masquerading in a counterfeit tongue in an attempt just to elevate themselves. Paul says that when the church uses gifts to build up one another, then they truly excel. Don't seek to excel yourself and put yourself up above everybody by trying to outdo them in tongues. Seek to build up the church. Amen. That's where you truly excel, Paul says. Well, let's break down a bit more the, the practice of tongues here, verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now again, if a, if a tongue is gonna be spoken in the congregation, then let the person that speaks that tongue pray for an interpretation, whether it's them or someone else giving an interpretation. But if a tongue is spoken, and Paul's gonna get into this more in the rest of chapter 14, we'll get into that next week. He'll break this down a little bit more. We'll study that a bit more. But if a tongue is spoken, then remain silent. Wait for an interpretation. If no interpretation is given, there's no need for tongues. There's no, interpret no interpreter there. But pray. Pray for that interpretation that everybody can benefit. For, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. He's not saying that I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. Like that this is the gift, saying I just pray my inner man. I'm praying inwardly, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, many said that, that they speak in tongues primarily as a prayer language to God. And that as I pray in tongues, or I, I pray in tongues and I don't know what to pray, I just begin to pray in tongues and I'm just edified. That's what a lot of people now claim is sort of the, the gift of tongues. 
Now, is that what Paul is getting at here? He addresses, if I pray in tongue, but the question is, is Paul giving a hypothetical situation to show that the important thing is that there's understanding or interpretation given so that all can benefit, even if I'm praying in a tongue? That seems to be fitting in more with the context. If I were to pray in a tongue, if I'm, I'm, I'm praying in a tongue and I'm, I'm glorifying God, it's like a lot of the Psalms are, are prayers presented to God. They're very beneficial. But if I pray in a tongue, then there should be an interpretation so that it benefits the whole body. See, a lot of people kind of look at the one gift of tongues is kind of like, well, this is more of a, a private gift. Guys, what are the gifts given to the church for? edification building up the church that includes gift of tongues but then suddenly we kind of make this one thing a private thing that doesn't seem to fit with what the word of god says a private prayer language first of all it was to be interpreted now if i'm just praying privately why would i need that interpreted it's to be interpreted so that all can benefit from it secondly we know, like we just said, gifts are for the edification of the church, not self-edification. Thirdly, tongues, as we'll see next week in verse 22, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. So if I'm just thinking tongues is a private prayer language, well, how often are you praying in tongue going, wait, I need some unbelievers around here. Who's not saved? Come around. I'm going to pray in a tongue and gifts of tongues are a sign for unbelievers. We don't do that. It's not, it doesn't fit. And number four, not all are going to speak in tongues. Paul's already alluded to that, chapter 12, verse 30. Not all speak in tongues. So if, if tongues is a private prayer language meant to enhance our prayer life, why would someone be excluded from this incredible prayer tool? Again, that doesn't add up or make sense biblically. Paul says in verse 15, what's the conclusion then? Well, I will pray with the Spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of, under, of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. See, if you're praying or singing with the Spirit, again, means you're doing it personally and inwardly in that inward capacity of your spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but your inward man spirit nobody else is benefiting from that this is why paul says he'll also pray or sing with the understanding and this is not just his own understanding but it's for the understanding of the assembly and congregation as a whole paul uses in verse 16 the word bless right he, he says otherwise if you bless with the spirit okay whether that's again speaking tongues inwardly if you bless he's using that word bless in in replacement of the word prayer or using these interchangeably you, you sit down for a meal and you bless your your food you give thanks to the lord for what you're about to eat so if i bless right and how's anybody going to know what's being said if i'm doing that in my spirit or or with the tongue how's anybody going to be able to say amen at the end in agreement of what's being said unless it's interpreted the point of gathering together again is for the common benefit and edification of one another so paul desires to see a word given that all can understand and all be edified by it. Now, in saying all this, once again, Paul does not want to diminish or minimize tongues. I want to be careful. 
that we don't diminish or minimize tongues. See, a lot of people, you know, we kind of just want to dismiss everything, go, it's much easier not to do that, and we just want to go to the extreme. I don't think that's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches the use of gifts. But I want to see gifts operate biblically. Now, again, some people say, well, I, I just use gifts as, or the, I use tongues as just kind of a private prayer language. But again, the important thing is to look at what does the Bible say about that? Because people will say, well, I just really have a, a, a genuine, I'm just so encouraged as I do this. I just feel like I'm really communing with God. Hey, that's great. And I don't want to dismiss that, but I simply want us to go, well, let's really see what the Word of God says. And again, this is tricky material to go through because there's so many varied opinions and interpretations on these things. But I want us to be careful because I've seen people that say, you know, I've seen a person that goes, man, I really just got hit with the Holy Spirit. And now, you know, and he just would kind of convulse randomly. He'd be sitting there praying, just be like, oh, and we'd call it the funky chicken. He'd just like, everything he did was just kind of like doing this little jerk, right? And he's like, man, I just can't help it. That's just the spirit taking off. And I go, well, I want to be careful that we're evaluating or interpreting our experiences through the word of God and not trying to filter the word of God through our experiences and, and adjust things. Amen. That's all that we want to do here. We want everything that we see happening to line up with the word of God. And Paul seems to say, listen, there might be prayer happening in the spirit or in a tongue, but that's still to be interpreted for the benefit of all. That's the purpose of gifts. Now again, he's not minimizing because look at verse 18, we'll close with these two verses. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul was someone that spoke in tongues and he says, man, I speak more than all of you. He's not trying to compete with them. He's not trying to you know, outdo them pridefully. He says, listen guys, don't think that I'm saying these things because I have no experience with tongues. People in the church could have said, oh, Paul just doesn't know. He hasn't experienced these things. Paul says, no. I speak more than all of you guys in tongues. I know all about this, but when it comes to gathering together, I'd rather just simply say five words that you can gain from than 10,000 words in a tongue that you're all sitting there going, I have no idea what was said, but that just took up like half an hour of my time. I could sit here and I could preach this whole message in Ikuzu. Did I say that right? Ikizu? Okay. I, I, obviously, I can't even say the word, so I'm definitely not speaking my message in Ikizu. But if I could speak this whole message in Ikizu, guess what? You'd all walk out here going, that was amazing. That was incredible. I can't believe Brent just totally did this message in this wild language from Africa. That's amazing. What did he say? I have no idea, man, but it was wild. <laughs> like nobody would benefit from it. You'd all leave impressed, but nobody's going to benefit from it. Paul says, I'd rather five words that rest in the, in the understanding to where you can be built up because our purpose is to come together to teach and to instruct so we can all be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the desire as we gather here. We don't want experiences. We want the truth. We want the word of God to impact us and to grow us. Now, God will operate in the gifts for the further benefit and building up of the church, but let's be sure that these things line up with what the Bible says. Let it be 
for the edification of the church that you seek to excel, Paul says. God is a good God. And we go through a chapter like this, and it's like, man, how do we close this out? But I want you to see how God is a good God, and he's a giving God, and he's blessed us with gifts, gifts that are meant to be used so that we can all be encouraged and built up and continue to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. May we pray and desire to see that happen all the more here at Riverside, all right? Let's pray. Lord, we ask here today, God, that you would continue to pour out and, and, and allow us to be people that operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, not to our benefit, but Lord, to the benefit and the building up of one another. May we truly pursue love above all and desire spiritual gifts to be functioning for the health of the church and for the glory of God. So lead us in your truth and your word and the things that you taught us here today. We ask in your name. Amen.